0: John writes to Gaius, who's a church member in the church. If you go back to the beginning of the book, you can see that the letter is addressed to a man named Gaius. And he uh, tells us in verse number 9, or John writes, he says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. Look at the list here of Diotrephes' actions. Pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. This is a rough guy. Diotrephes. And so we looked at Gaius, uh, the prosperous Christian, last week. We're going to look at Diotrephes, the proud Christian. Proud Christian. This man wanted the preeminence. He wanted all the attention. We're going to talk about how to handle a diotrephes. I'm not going to preach at diatrophes or diotrephes type people tonight much, if at all. But we're going to talk about as a church how to identify and deal with someone who wants to come in and sow discord in our church. Let's pray. Lord, tonight would you please help us to take from this message exactly what's needed. Lord, if this church is going to go places with the gospel, then we must learn as a church family how to handle people that would divide us and hurt us. And so, Lord, tonight may we grow in this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The greatest gift that Jesus left right before, or right after, rather, he departed to heaven... He left us with the Holy Spirit of God. What a wonderful gift. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God indwelled certain people at random? But for the most part, believers in the, uh, uh, the believers in the, uh, the, the coming Messiah, they did not ever have any a- interaction with God. God the Father spoke directly to certain men that walked the planet, but for the most part... Um, there was no interaction with God. And then Jesus came, and just a small percentage of the population ever interacted with God on earth. But then when Jesus ascended to heaven, he left for every single believer, God, in the form of the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Wow! Uh, Don't ever, ever let that concept grow weary or tired, or uh, don't ever yawn at that idea. You have God living within you. This Spirit of God indwells each one, each one who is called on the name of Jesus for salvation. If you are here today and you are saved, you have the Spirit of God living within you. In the Old Testament, believers in Jehovah uh, God would congregate so that they could experience the presence of God. Watch this now. They would go to the temple in order to be close to God. Fast forward to the New Testament, where we are now. We're New Testament believers. New Testament believers uh, in, in Christ congregate because they have the presence of God within them. In the Old Testament, they went to the temple and congregated to experience the presence of God. Here we congregate because we have the presence of God. Now, in the Old Testament, they would go to the temple in order to be close to God. In the New Testament, we go to church because we are the temple of God. Church is supposed to be a place where we go and strengthen one another. Church is supposed to be a place where we are challenged to let the Spirit of God take the lead in our lives. Brother Russo promoted his class this morning in church. Uh, uh, He's going to be doing a life group on the Holy Spirit and prayer. And while he was up here, he made the point that our flesh is just wicked. You know, uh, uh, the battle between the flesh and the spirit is intense. It's intense. It goes on every day within us if we're saved. And what's church supposed to do? It's supposed to help encourage us to not live by the flesh but to say no to the flesh and instead to live by the Spirit. Church is supposed to be a place where we get organized and unified, unified, in order to make the largest possible impact through the Spirit of God in our community with the gospel of our Savior. Now, for those of you that were here for the 830 service, we used an illustration about sunflowers this morning. And most of you weren't here at the 830 service, so for those of you that were, indulge me while I bring the 11 o'clock crowd up to speed here, okay? Sunflowers are an amazing flower. Uh, they follow the sun across the horizon. And what, what's amazing is, is uh, not just watching one sunflower, but watching a whole field of sunflowers as they follow the sun Across the sky. But what's even more amazing is that they continue to follow the sun even after the sun has set. They follow the sun 360 degrees all the way around. It's quite something, isn't it? It's quite something how that works. Hey, you know why they work in such unity? Because they're following the sun. White Oak Baptist Church, you know what gets us to be in unity? When we follow God's sun. When we are following God's Son through the leading of the Spirit, boy, we have tremendous unity. Turn over to Acts chapter two with me. Acts chapter two. Obviously, we'll be back in Third John. I want to show you how a church functions at peak performance. Christians, if we're going to function at peak performance, then we must dwell together in unity. We must. There are uh, there there are no uh, there's no wiggle room here. If we're going to operate and function and run on all cylinders and really accomplish what god left us here then we cannot be divided one against the other we cannot allow uh, division and derision and schisms within our church we must stand up to anyone who would seek to sow discord amongst us look at acts chapter 2 verse 1 the bible says and when the day of pentecost was fully come They, this is the 120 that were gathered in that upper room, they were all with one accord in one place. You know what that means? They had worked out all their problems. They had had let go of their grudges. You think there weren't grudges? There are 120 of them. About the size of a, a normal Sunday morning crowd right now during COVID. I guarantee you they had hiccups and hangups and issues with each other. They got into a room and they locked themselves in that room and they prayed together. They prayed for each other. They prayed with each other. And they refused to leave that room until they were in one accord. Look what happened later in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people got saved and baptized. You think that would have happened if they weren't in one accord? I know it wouldn't have happened. The Spirit of God works through a church when and only when it is prayed up and unified. Prayed up and unified. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse number 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Turn over to chapter 4 and verse 24. This early Jerusalem church would be one of the largest churches that's ever existed. Some historians estimate that this church was in excess of 100,000 people at one point. How did this church grow so quickly? Because they set aside their differences and they were following God's Son. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with One accord. They're praying here. They're praying in unity. And said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And by the way, I challenge you to go back and study the verses around where we're reading and see what powerful things accompany being in one accord. Turn over to chapter 5 and verse number 12. Chapter 5 and verse number 12. The Bible says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And then just in parentheses, look here. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. When did marvelous things happen in their presence? When they were in one accord. When there was unity with each other. Look at chapter 8 and verse number 6. One more. Chapter 8, verse 6. Turn over there with me if you would. When I pause, read the next two words with me. You probably already can figure out what they're going to be. Ready? And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And revival broke out through Philip's preaching because the people were in one accord. Watch now, White Oak Baptist Church. Great things. You go through church history. And you see churches, I'm not, listen, uh, supposing that gain is godliness from such, turn aside. Gain is not the end goal. Growth and numbers are not the end goal. Godliness and helping people is the end goal. You all understand? But it is my opinion, and I fully strongly believe this, that in 2020, if we're walking in the Spirit, and we're prayed up, and we have things fixed amongst the church body, one with another, and we're unified not only in our spirit toward each other, but in our mission for the Lord, it is my strong opinion, because I've seen it firsthand already in glimpses here in the last four and a half years, that this church would explode in growth. And again, numbers is not the goal. Reaching people is the goal. Taking the gospel to the community is the goal. We will never, ever, 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 ever reach our full potential, hit our full capacity for the Lord until we get things right here first. We have to have things right here first. Now, I will say that our church mostly is there. I think most of you like most of you. Most of us like most of us. But there are some grudges in this church. There are some people that have hurt feelings in this church. There are sour grapes in this church. And I'm not going to focus on that right now, but I'm just going to say this and I'll move on. We will never do what God wants us to do as a church until we move past grudges. We won't. Hey, watch this now. The cause of Christ is bigger than any one of us. You understand that? I would hate to get to heaven and come to a realization in the presence of God that my ugly spirit towards someone else was what was holding a church back from doing great things and realize how many people didn't get saved and how many people weren't helped because I just couldn't get things in my heart right toward other people. Unity is key. How many of you here have ever participated in a three-legged race? Would you hold your hand up? If you, what they do is they take two people and they tie one set of legs together. All right, you all familiar with this? And then you, you're lined up against other pairs of people, and you, you got to get the inside foot working together in unity, and then the outside feet are not tied together. The inside feet are, and it is hilarious to watch because you get two guys. They're jocks, you know. They're studs. They're going to beat everyone, and you know, in a race, they would normally win uh, against everyone. But you strap their legs together, and they're fumbling all over each other and falling all over the place. You know, I I got I, I have to say it takes a lot of 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 teamwork it takes a lot of chemistry to win a three-legged race and in a lot of ways this is exactly what we're doing we have people in this church from all sorts of backgrounds all sorts of wealth classes, all sorts of thought processes and ideologies, and uh, all sorts of different opinions. And some think the pastor preaches too loud, and some think he he needs more fire. And some people think that our deacons are too nice. Everyone thinks our deacons are nice, amen. Yeah, but uh, we uh, we have people here who uh, think we should do things this way or that way, or uh, it'd be better if, if the walls are painted this color or that color. Or be better if we went soul winning at this time instead of that time. You have all sorts of different opinions about how things would work. But White Oak Baptist Church, please understand that we must get in line with the program of the church and we must work hard to be deferential where we must in order to advance the cause of Christ. It's about unity, folks. It's about unity. Now, what do you do when you have someone injected in a congregation who is really good at subtly messing up the unity. How do you handle someone like that? We're going to talk about that now because this book, 3 John, lays out for us three different types of people found in the typical church. We looked at Gaius last week. He was a prosperous Christian. This week we're going to look at Diotrephes. He was a proud Christian quote-unquote, Christian. I don't believe he was saved. Especially if you look at verse 11. Verse 11 would seem to indicate he wasn't. Do You know, there are people in churches who are not saved, who look the part, talk the part, act the part, but they're just not saved. They've never believed in Jesus. And then the third type of person is Demetrius. We'll look at him next week. He was a pleasant Christian. Every church I have been a part of, every single church I have been a part of, has had, people, uh, uh, has had all three types of people, prosperous, proud, and pleasant within them. This evening, it would be easy for me to rail on people who are in this church that are like diotrophies And I'll just say this up front. I don't think we have anyone in our church that I know of at the moment that is a full-blown diotrophies. But I will say that the qualities of diotrophies we're going to look at tonight, I think can creep up in all of us from time to time. I think on some level, all of us can struggle with different aspects of what Diotrephes struggled with. But I don't believe there's anyone in the church right now that has all of his struggles uh, put together. But what do you do when you come across some of these attributes? What do you do when you come across someone who it looks to subtly divide the church, subtly work their way into people's hearts, and subtly look to tear apart the fabric of what God wants to do here? Now, the biblical word to describe, I'm sorry, the scientific word, the textbook scientific word to describe Diotrephes is the word narcissist. Diotrephes was a narcissist. Now, some of you here may not know what that word means. When the message is over tonight, I think you'll have a pretty good idea because verse 9 and 10 lay out a textbook narcissist. We're going to go to the Scriptures and let the Word of God tell us what a narcissist is. Now, if I could sum it up this way, it is someone who is very, very self-absorbed. So much so that they will burn down every relationship around them that damages their own personal brand. They expect others to worship them. And anyone who appears to be a even potential challenger, must have their character assassinated. Let's look at three thoughts this evening. You have a half sheet outline there. I encourage you to fill in the blanks. We're going to talk about people that we need to avoid and deal with and ostracize within a church. We're going to talk about people that need no influence in our lives and hearts and people, uh, uh, the type of people that uh, need to leave a church in order for the church to go and grow for the Lord. Point number one tonight. Let's jump in. Notice this about Diotrephes, his attention on himself. His attention on himself. Look at verse number 9 of uh, Third John. The Bible says, I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence. He wants to be the center of attention. Uh, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. The first sign that someone is troubled that should be avoided, is that they are more so than most consumed with themselves. Now, it is normal, especially for men, to desire reverence from those who follow them. Uh, God tells wives in Ephesians 5 that they are to reverence their husbands. Why? Because God made man with the desire to be reverenced. and so that's normal to have a wife look up to and deeply respect uh, her husband, for the husband to desire that. Husbands or fathers want their children uh, to reverence and respect them. But it goes beyond the family unit. Uh, CEOs look to have respect come from junior executives and people that are below uh, their status within the company, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. But some people... Take this desire to a radical extreme. They must be the center of attention at all times. They have a story um, uh, that can always knock the socks off your story. How many of you, when you were in school, would sit at the lunch table and something bizarre would happen to you? And you tell that story around the lunch table, and there was always that one kid in your class who could top everybody's story. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. How many of you were that kid? All right. Uh, You're, you're a narcissist. No. Um, I, uh, before school one day, we, uh, we played basketball in the gym before school when I was growing up. I hit a half court shot in like the sixth grade. You know, I, I wasn't strong enough to throw it like this, so I underhanded it. And it was like a one in a million chance it went in. And I was so like, you know, just ecstatic. And I remember I got to the lunch table that day and, and I told the kids in the class, I made a half-court shot before school today. And this one puny little kid who never picked up a basketball in his life said, I made three of those last week. <laughs> you have some people that no matter what you do, they're always just going to one-up you. And that, that desire for attention, that egocentrical spirit, it is a mature trait that when you listen to someone tell a story, that happened something that happened to them, it is a mature trait. To swallow your story sometimes. And just let them revel in the excitement of their story. And not feel like you have to be like, Oh yeah? Let me tell you what happened to me. Uh, 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 Someone who wants the preeminence is always the most spiritual person. They're always the best. They, They have the best. They talk uh, the best. They dress the best. Uh, they want to drive the best car and have the most friends. And uh, they talk in terms of superlatives. There's a Patch the Pirate adventure from a few years ago. And in this adventure, uh, they had a self-centered fictional character who desired to be queen of the the land they were in. And when asked what it takes to be a great leader, she responded by singing an off uh, off-key a uh, song entitled it's all about me it's all about me it's all about my favorite things my diamond rings it's all about me bow down you puny little people and worship me now most people are far more subtle about it than this fictional uh, kids character but make no mistake uh, uh, make no mistake uh, this is the same thing they live their life by now they would never say it out loud but they live their life by it. Now I'll say uh, here uh, in the uh, beginning of the message, I have no many pastors who are narcissists. I have no many leaders who are narcissists. Many, many men who pastor who want the preeminence at every turn. And I'll just speak uh, transparently here for a moment with you. I see how a pastor gets there. I do. Uh, people are constantly showering compliments on your message and uh, various things and um, some people never pay me a compliment because they are trying to keep me humble. In fact, some people just criticize because they are trying to counterbalance the compliments I guess but uh, a pastor uh, has a lot of uh, face time with the church, and uh, pe- people come and listen to him, open and expound on the word of god and If pastors are not careful, I have faced this temptation. If pastors are not careful, they begin to think that it's all up to them for people to grow spiritually. And that, that's just not true. That's not, just not true. Um, sometimes I go back and I listen to myself preach or I'll wa- even watch myself preach, and I hate it. I hate it. I don't enjoy it. The only reason why I do it is I want to learn little um, personality uh, flaws or uh, ticks uh, uh, and things I can clean up to be a better public speaker. But one thing dawns on me is that I am not a good enough public speaker to demand the crowd that attends here on a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, or a Wednesday evening. And as I listen to myself preach, I realize this. You all are not here because of me. You all are here because this is preached. You're here for the Word of God. And by the way, if you are here because of me, you're here for the wrong reason. At White Oak Baptist Church, it should always be about the Lord Jesus Christ. High and lifted up. I love the hymnal, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. If this ministry is built on the personality of Richard Lejeune and Jim Owens and Jacob O'Kai and Mike Syrette, whoever our future assistant pastor is, Joe White American and Marcia Anderson, If our ministry is built on this foundation of people, we're not going to ever be very big. But if our church is built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He gets the preeminence, then the sky's the limit, folks. How do you identify someone who is a Diotrephes in your church? Well, number one, his attention is on himself. The Bible tells us about Diotrephes. Number two, uh, it talks about his attack on leadership. His attack on leadership. Letter A, notice, his obsessed control. His obsessed control. Look at verse number 9. Look here. I, John speaking, I wrote unto the church. So, uh, the apostles, one of the things they did is they wrote letters. And many of those letters, not all of them, but many of them turned into Scripture. Now, I, I had this thought. You know, sometimes Moses uh, or people in the Old Testament would do things and, That would mess up typology. This might be a stretch, but I will just label it as my own speculation. Diotrephes, we'll see here in verse 9, did not allow the letter that John wrote to make it to the church. Is it possible that Diotrephes took something that was supposed to be the Word of God and prevented it from getting there? Now, the Word of God is settled in heaven, so either way, you can't outdo the sovereignty of God. But can you see Diotrephes running interference between God's man and God's people? It says here, I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not... It was common in Bible days for someone like John to come into town and get a church up and going. In fact, it would appear from the beginning of the book that Gaius was one of John's converts. He came into Ephesus and he got uh, Gaius up and going and got churches up and going, house churches up and going, and maybe Diotrephes was left in charge. We don't know what Diotrephes' position in the church was, but we know this, that uh, the apostles would write letters back to the churches and people would stand up and they would read back the letters, Letters of the apostles to the church. And John had written such letter for the church. And Diotrephes would not allow that letter to be written. He was not going to have John's influence anywhere near that church. Look at verse 10. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. John told Gaius, I wrote a letter to your church. But Diotrephes got hold of it and refuses to read it to the church. People like Diotrephes, they seek to control the narrative. They are very guarded with the facts. They only share the details that benefit them. He had told the church that a narrative... Uh, He had told the church there a narrative about the Apostle John and he was not going to allow John to come around and be present in the church. Diotrephes would have lost control of the narrative if John would have showed up and started talking. So Diotrephes uh, would have lost control of the narrative if he would have read John's letter. When someone is filled with pride, they are generally very, very controlling. Very controlling. They don't trust anyone because they themselves are not trustworthy. They oftentimes superimpose their own character flaws onto other people and believe everyone else is doing something wrong. Because they are they live suspiciously, they are suspicious of everyone. My brother-in-law worked for a pastor once. And I'll be uh, a generic care uh, but he, uh, the pastor went through staff like water, and he would only hire really, really young guys out of Bible college looking for their first uh, job in ministry. And they would last, on average, about nine months, and they would quit and leave. And the pastor's just, <laughs> he was a narcissist, and uh, they were not allowed to take their cell phones into their office. It had to be checked in with the secretary, and then picked up at the end of the day. And if they got a letter in the church mail, it was gone through by the pastor before they could look at it. Just odd behavior. And why was he so suspicious of everyone? Because he himself was living a suspect life. Now, there are two types of narcissists. There are mature and immature narcissists. A mature narcissist, watch this now, this person is subtle and uh, rather subtle and sly slick he or she is very very polished they generally have a larger than life or a very warm personality they thrive on coming across impressive if it's a man he may wear an expensive watch if it's a woman she may carry a very expensive Handbag, and by the way, wearing a expensive watch or carrying a handbag isn't uh, doesn't necessarily make you anything. Uh, but, but but please follow along with what I'm saying here. These people, these mature narcissists and diatrophies would have been one of these. They morph and in chameleon into whoever they need to be at that moment in order to win your loyalty. But once they have you in their grip. They become very controlling to a place where they will suffocate the emotional life out of you. Where do people like this learn such behavior? Take your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 14. They learn it from the father of lies. They learn it from Satan himself. They are mimicking their father, the devil. Look at Isaiah 14 and look at verse number 13. The Bible says, For thou, speaking of Lucifer, thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Notice he wants the preeminence here. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the Most High. Satan was supposed to assist God in heaven. He was an archangel. Now watch, watch what Satan did before he reached this point. He went around and he won over one third of the angels in heaven to his side. And then he sought to control them, to bring about a coup in heaven, mutiny, and he failed. And he was thrown out of heaven, heaven's darkest moment. How do we go about convincing? How do, How did? How does a narcissist, a diotrephes, a Satan? How do they go about convincing so many to follow him? Well, they attack leadership. We see the obsessed control. Letter B, notice. His organized criticism. His organized criticism. Look at verse number 9 again. I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth against us, or rather, which he doeth. Look at this next phrase here. Look at this next phrase. Pratting against us with malicious words. Pratting against us with malicious words. Do you know what Diotrephes did to John and to others who got in his way? He started a whisper campaign against them. He went around... And he whispered against John and sought to hurt John's reputation. Take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter 41 and verse number 7. We're going to look at some verses in Psalm and Proverbs here. Psalm chapter 41 and verse number 7. Now again, tonight I said I'm not going to preach against Diotrephes because most of you here, if not all of you here, are not a Diotrephes. We may all struggle with a, a, a problem here and there. We may all be boastful or get our feelings hurt if we don't get enough tension here and there. We may at times be involved in gossip here and there. But we, 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 most—if I don't know that anyone in our church puts all this together. I'm not preaching against diatrophies tonight. I'm trying to help you, White Oak Baptist Church, to be able to identify someone who's lifted up in pride and know how to deal with them. Look at Psalm chapter 41, verse 7. All that hate me whisper to- uh, together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. Nothing stings more than knowing that people are backbiting and whispering and gossiping about you, especially people who are supposed to be on your team. He says that in order to do that to someone, that you have to hate that person. You know, I, I think that we we have a really high bar for what we think hatred is. But I think hatred's a lot easier to get to than we realize. You have a general disdain in your heart for somebody. There's a very good chance, it's very likely that you actually hate that person. You walk into their presence and you just feel disgust. Pretty good chance you probably hate that person. You're quick to jump on the whisper bandwagon about someone. Good chance you hate that person. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 28. Proverbs 16 and verse number 28. The Bible says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. A whisperer separateth chief friends. A froward man soweth strife. Verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. God hates it when we sow strife, discord, division, disunity with our tongues. One more passage. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 11. 1 Timothy chapter five. In verse number eleven, the Bible says, Let the younger widows refuse, for when they have began begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they look here, learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none... Look at this last phrase. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, this verse is talking about women who run around and run their mouth. And I know that women... Unjustly get a bad rap for being gossipers. And I do mean that unjustly. I think that men are just as bad about running their mouth as women are. I do. And in and in, in here in 3 John, it wasn't a woman who was priding about with malicious words. It was diatrophies a man. Now again, tonight, the point of the sermon is not to reprimand diatrophies. The point of the sermon is to help you know. How to get diatrophies away from you. And listen to me. Here's how you do it. Don't give ear to gossip. It ought to be that if there's a gossip in this church, they can't find anyone to share their gossip with. Because every single person stonewalls them. They say to them, For the cause of Christ and the furtherance of the gospel, I'm not going there with you. Now, I want to be clear on this. I'm not saying that if there's sin in the leadership of the church, that you keep your mouth shut and look the other way. That's not what I'm saying at all. If they're sitting in the leadership of the church, there's a biblical model and method for how that is to be handled. You are to walk down those steps. And you by the way, you are encouraged to walk down those steps. But allowing you to get into a text thread or a phone conversation or a social media interaction where you are bashing something about the church family, something about the program of the church, my friend, if you do that, you are giving people like a diatrophies room to grow and exist. and let me just say this the diatrophies types that are really polished boy they're so good at what they do they will be your friend they will be there for you they will carry a a tear on their shoulder they will help you through hardships and hard times and once they've won your loyalty then it begins as hey i need to tell you something but don't tell anybody i told you this hey I, i need to share something with you that's heavy on my heart These are phrases that a polished narcissist uses. And they run around and they very slowly begin to undermine a leader, undermine a person. They burn everything down around a leader. I worked on one church staff where I had a a diatrophies that was an assistant pastor with me on staff. And this man ended up running the pastor out of the church. And I went in his office one time and I closed the door and I stuck my finger in his face and I said, you're wrong for what you're doing. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, you're being very critical of our pastor with people and I know it and you need to knock it off. And he said, I haven't said anything negative about the pastor. I said, you've said negative things about the pastor to me and you've accused me of being too loyal. He said, well, you know, those are just fair points. I said, fair or unfair, if you have an issue, you go to him. Let me tell you what this young man was very good at. He was very good at not directly attacking the pastor, but attacking all of the people that were around the pastor. It's wrong. And when you give an ear to gossip, you're, 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 you're allowing a diatrophies to prosper. People like Diotrephes hate leadership. It doesn't matter who the leader is. Well, if we just get rid of pastoral discernment, we go places. People that have that attitude, it doesn't matter who you bring in next. They're going to attack that person as well. Because it isn't me they have a problem with, it's leadership they have a problem with. They have to have the preeminence. White Oak Baptist Church you see someone's being controlling with you, you get away from that person fast. You see someone is running around starting a whisper campaign and criticizing and tearing down. You get away from that person real fast and you let them know that doesn't work here at White Oak Baptist Church. The cause of Jesus Christ is more important than us listening to some gossip. And we have a world to reach with the gospel. We have people outside that wall that are hurting tonight. And they need us to lock arms and look to God and say, no, we're not perfect. And no, there are imperfections in our church. But the cause of Christ is more important than me listening to you run your mouth and gossip. And I'm going to say this again. If you have an issue with someone in this church, please, 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 Go to them and work that out. You say, I'm not ready to do that yet. Then get on your knees and pray and ask God to soften up your heart until you are. But don't you dare run around and badmouth anyone in this church. I'll just say this before I move on to number three here. It hurts my heart as the pastor just as much when I hear that this person over here is whispering about that person over there as it does if this person over here was whispering about me directly. Nothing, 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 nothing hurts me more as a pastor than when I know that one sheep of the flock is attacking another sheep of the flock. And it doesn't matter if they're related to me or not. It hurts my heart. Because it hurts his heart. Oh, let's not be guilty of allowing a Diotrephes to thrive in our midst. Number three, lastly, notice his assault on church members. Oh, please understand that a Diotrephes doesn't stop the leadership. He moves on to church members as well. Look at verse number 10 with me. 3 John verse number 10. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, priding against us, that's the leadership, with malicious words, and not content therewith. Notice that phrase. Diotrephes, once he's torn down leadership, he doesn't stop there. That's not enough for him. He's got the taste of blood in his mouth, and he must continue to tear down. Look here. Neither, do, do, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Letter A, notice, the rejection of the spiritual. The rejection of the spiritual. In verse 8 of the book, John praised Gaius because he was hospitable toward anyone and everyone who preached the power of the cross. Anyone who was on Team Jesus that was passing through town, Gaius would give them a bed to sleep in, food to eat in, uh, food to eat, and the shirt off his back. Diotrephes took the opposite approach. Look back at verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, and against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Look at this next phrase. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren. Why? Because strong spiritual leaders are viewed by people like Diotrephes as competition. You see, they have to have the preeminence. And anyone else who shines bright uh, for the Lord is their enemy. You all remember what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3 and verse number 30? He said, He must increase, I must decrease. Hey, John the Baptist, how do you feel that Jesus is coming on the scene and stealing your spotlight? He must increase, I must decrease hey, I slip behind the curtain and become stage crew, and Jesus takes the spotlight. Jesus takes the preeminence. Now watch this. If a pastor or a church leader or a church member uh, is attacking people because they're getting more attention than they are, uh, then they are attacking the spiritual. They are attacking the spiritual. I've seen this with pastors where they have a guest preacher come in, and the guest preacher out preaches the pastor, that happens sometimes, you know. And Brother Ray came in here and he out-preached me. Praise God. Hey, I'm thankful for that. He brought a different style in here. And, and he opened up the Word of God and, and just preached some powerful sermons. You know, I've been in, I've been in a pastor's office where um, uh, he just, he just uh, spewed out, vomited out, how angry he was about the guest speaker that came in. Because people love that guy's preaching more than they love my preaching. And I didn't say anything because I worked for the guy, but I looked at him and I thought, it's not supposed to be about you, pastor. It's supposed to be about Jesus. If someone's able to come in here and open the Word of God and dynamically preach and, and preach with power and move you closer to the Lord, and He does it better than I do, it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's about you getting to be more like Jesus. Someone who's a diatrophes, oh, no, 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 no. If you're spiritual, reject, reject, reject because they're going to take the spotlight. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me and look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1. This was a problem in the church of Corinth. They had about every problem that a church could have. They were just littered with problems. And uh, there were personalities within that church. And I believe there were diatrophies, many diatrophies types within the church of Corinth. And they were on Team Apollos and Team Jesus, the hyper-spiritual ones. And they were on uh, uh, Team Paul and uh, uh, the divisions and the infighting within the church. And Paul said, hey folks, knock it off. Look at verse number 1. And I, brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You're you're still acting like babies. You're being very immature. Verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto uh, ye were not uh, able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You see what the Bible says here? If you're causing strife and division, or you're allowing strife and division to be caused through you, you are carnal. You are walking in the flesh. Verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers uh, by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he uh, uh, that planteth anything, uh, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Say, hey, listen, we ought to be thankful and we ought to praise God anytime anybody does something good for the Lord. Amen? We ought to rejoice with them. And listen, the pastor calls out someone's name and recognizes them because they led someone to Christ or they were out soul winning X amount of weeks in a row or they graduated from the Solar's Club or they had to the discipleship level. You shouldn't sit there and go, ah, oh, the pastor never calls my name. What about me? What about me? Oh, we're rejecting the spiritual. But that's not, Diotrephes didn't stop there. That was just step one. Step two, letter B, notice the rudeness of his spirit. The rudeness of his spirit. Look back at verse number 10. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, priding against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, moving from leadership on to the church family, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would. Now, what was happening here? All right. Here's really what got John's goad. that got John all fired up to write this letter. There were folks who were friends of John's that were coming through Ephesus. And it had been recommended that they stop by this church so they would have a place of lodging and food to eat. And Diotrephes did not want any spiritual competition in the church. And so Diotrephes refused himself to put anyone up because he didn't want the competition. But then he took it a step further. He said, not only am I not going to put anyone up, neither are you. And he would not let anyone in the church be hospitable. Because if that person got into the home of that that church member, then all of a sudden they may like that church leader, that, that preacher more than they like me. And so what did he resort to? He resorted to being rude to people. You will not... You will not put people up in your home. You will don't, don't you know about that guy? Let me tell you, oh, he preached this sermon one time and he's an apostate. You stay away from him. Spreading lies, a disinformation campaign. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 6. We're going to look at two verses in Proverbs 18 and one in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm almost done. Proverbs chapter 18 and look with me at verse number 6. They reject the spiritual. Then they become rude in their spirit toward anyone who won't do it with them. Verse 6, a fool's lips enter into contention. Look here, and his mouth calleth for strokes. Hey, he's calling for punishment on people who are not himself. Look down to verse number 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Sometime back I read Proverbs 18:19 in my devotions. And when I did, I put my head down on my desk and I began to weep. There are people in my life that I've offended. Some because I was being carnal and others because of just the way things worked out. And I want nothing more than to heal those hurts. But sometimes when we offend someone, it's very difficult to win their friendship back. You know, it starts with a heart of humility and grace. It starts by giving people room to work through things. It starts by letting people know you love them. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse number 15. Someone who is a is not only rejects the spiritual, they become rude toward anyone who won't join their team and do it with them. Where in the world is this attitude coming from? Look at verse 15. Looking diligently, the Bible says. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Diotrephes had a root of bitterness that had defiled him and caused him to be very rude in his spirit. Letter C, notice lastly, the removal of the strong. The removal of the strong. Look at verse number 10. Notice the last phrase there. Well, let's just pick up in the middle of the verse after the colon. And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. That's the rejection of the spiritual. And forbiddeth them that would, that's the rudeness of spirit. And look here, and casteth them out of the church, the removal of the strong. Hey, anyone who is between me and preeminence, I must eliminate, is the attitude of a Diotrephes. By the way, you find this attitude going all the way back, like we mentioned a little bit ago about uh, with with Satan and Lucifer in heaven. But let me give you some other biblical examples here. How many of you remember the story of Korah in the book of Exodus? He felt that he was, you know, should have been the leader and Moses shouldn't have been. So he led a a revolt and a mutiny. By the way, he began a disinformation campaign and sought to control people and uh, went about whispering and prating about with malicious words. And and then he recruited people to be on his team and and then burned uh, burned down people that wouldn't join his team and then got so bold as to walk up to Moses and say, you should not be God's man, I should. That didn't end so well for Korah. The ground opened up and swallowed him and his followers. How about Haman? How many know the story of Haman in the book of Esther? Oh my, you want to know who a narcissist is? Haman is a textbook narcissist. And we have a lot more information on Haman than we do on diatrophies. Haman was sick of Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow down and worship him. Don't you know? It's all about me, was Haman's attitude. And a funny part of that story is that um, Haman sets himself up to where uh, he has to lead Mordecai through the streets and, and praise him, who's his arch rival. And there's, there's gallows built for uh, Mordecai to swing from next to Haman's house. And at the end of the story, Haman swings from his own gallows. But well, You see here the casting out of the church. Haman was trying to not only eliminate Mordecai, but eliminate the Jewish race because it was the race from which Mordecai came from. Let me give you quickly two New Testament um, uh, ideas of this. How about the Pharisees? Maybe the greatest group of narcissists in the Bible. Who did they try to eliminate? Yeah. Jesus came along and outshined them, took away their spotlight. John said, I must decrease, he must increase. And their attitude was, he must decrease and we must increase. And so they nailed him to a cross. Then he rose up from the dead, and the Christian church exploded, and they faded away into oblivion. How about diatrophies? We've just spent uh, 45 minutes to an hour looking at him. He tried to remove John and other members who stood up for John. When I was um, an assistant pastor in one church ministry, I'll be vague. I had a pastor who was a narcissist. Textbook, narcissist. He came into the church and identified me as being spiritual. And immediately began an effort to get rid of me and my family. He ended up succeeding. But um, he recruited one of my good friends through prouding words. Did a lot of gossiping. A lot of sowing discord in the church. We left that ministry and left quietly. But I knew it was just a matter of time until he turned on my friend. Because my friend had great influence in that church. I'll call my friend George. That's not his name, but I'll call him George to put a name. George ran the church's college and career class and had... 40 plus years in the church. He would have been equivalent to our brother-owns and influence. He worked hard to get rid of George. He threw George out of the church and banned him from the property. I'm not making this up, folks. He called a meeting after church and had everyone come down to the front. He came down and he told them, he said this, If I catch you having any interaction online or in person with George, I'll throw you out too. Diatrophies. Now, listen, this is an extreme example. But White Oak Baptist Church, we can't let someone like this in here. We need to unify and push people out who try to keep us from I conclude with these thoughts. I'll just read them. Number one, every Christian struggles with pride on some level. But someone like Diotrephes takes this struggle to a whole new level. Number two, immature narcissists are easy to spot. But mature narcissists very subtly work their way into your life and then poison you. Number three, a church with the Diotrephes in it will never, ever, ever reach its full potential for the Lord. Number four, not every poisonous person exhibits every one of these attributes. But learn how to identify poison in a person and then limit their influence or eliminate their influence in your life. And number five, pray that God sends Holy Spirit-led unity and revival to our church and to our country. White Oak Baptist Church, can you all look up here at me for just a moment? Will you be a part of the solution and not part of the problem? Hey, if you've been involved in a whisper campaign that has hurt someone, Can you first confess that to the Lord and then fix that with the person if they know about it? If they don't know about it, don't go tell them. You'll just create a new wound. Can you do your part to be part of the solution? There's half a million people that live within just a few minutes of this church that are broken. They're waiting for White Oak Baptist Church to get their act together so we can go reach them and love them and help them. I feel like sometimes we're that three-legged, raced competitor that just keeps tripping over ourselves out of the gate. has to be our way. can't be. We can't be deferential. Let's humble our hearts. Let's be part of the solution. And let's never let someone like a diatrophes gain hold in our heart ever, ever, ever. Let's have our heads about in nice clothes this evening. As we're preparing for the invitation, one thing I failed to say that I intended to is that every single person in this room is flawed, me included. Every single person in this room is capable of offending someone, me included. If we're going to make this work, we have to be people who show grace and forgive. Lord, would you take the challenge tonight and help us to be unified? Lord, may we be in one accord, the way the disciples were, They worked out their differences because the cause of Christ was bigger than any one of them. Lord, help us to be a church that's unified. May we never, ever, ever allow a diatrophies to tear apart the fabric of this church. May we never be guilty of allowing someone to whisper in our ear. Lord, to create a team out of a group of us that would rise up against leadership. Lord, help us to love you and to put you first in Jesus' name.